Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. You know, yesterday morning, uh, my wife and I, we got up early on a, on a Saturday morning, and, and we went down to uh, Randy's Cafe in uh, Brownsville, our favorite little place for, for uh, breakfast and coffee, and, and we met my parents and her mom and my sister there, and we, we had breakfast together, and then we went over to the uh, Brownsville Antique Festival. Any, anybody go to that by any chance? Oh, I see a couple hands. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, we, we enjoy doing it. It's kind of a tradition in our family. Well, as we're eating breakfast, kind of um, as inevitably happens, uh, stories begin to be told. Uh, maybe it sounds familiar to you and your family. And it seems that they're never new stories, right? It's always the same old stories that we tell every time we get together. And it's usually because those stories are either funny or embarrassing. One of the two, right? And usually at my expense, um, this happens to be. Uh, but I was just, I was thinking about that as uh, the day was going along, just how when we get together, we have these kind of routines built into our, our uh, conversations even, and, and these same stories came up, keep coming up every time we're together. We get together for Christmas, the same stories come up. We get together for camping, the same stories come up. And we just tell, we kind of tell these stories all the time. And, and it's, at first that used, to, that used to kind of irritate me a little bit. It's like, do you not know that I already know this story, Right? Do you not know that I didn't, I, I lived that embarrassing moment, and now you're going to remind me every time we're going to get together? I remember. I remember then. I remember now. Thanks for the reminder, right? Uh, but sometimes we need these kind of, we need these stories. They're, they're a connection to our past. They're a connection to uh, um, our, our memories, our activities, the things we do together as a family. And so now, it, I, I understand, because I, I even catch myself telling those same stories. My wife gives me a hard time whenever I tell her the same story once more, one more time, but she does the same thing. But uh, I was thinking about that this week because uh, I was thinking back actually to about two years ago um, when, when I was first approached with the, the idea or, or the task of taking on the role of teaching pastor here at Southside. Uh, when, when, I, when I was presented this uh, idea, I, I sat down and I prayed about it, and I, I put a lot of time into thinking about what that would mean for me and what, what I brought to the table and what, what I would want to accomplish through a position like this. I, I wrote down things. I brainstormed. I, I wrote down things about what I wanted to teach, right? what I would like to be known for in my teaching. I wrote down things that I wanted to be evident in how I taught, what I taught. I wrote down that things, the things that I felt were, were important for me to communicate regularly and routinely. Things like our existence statement or our core values or the regular call to, to value unity over our personal preferences and, and, and other ideas like that. And one, of, one of those ideas that, that you are very familiar with if you've been around here more than one Sunday anyways is the, the kind of the commission that I give each and every week to go be the church, right? Go be the church. That came from that brainstorming session. It came to my mind really because I was thinking personally about my past and, and how we kind of have this routine built into our lives of going to church, right, each Sunday. And, and when we go to church, it seems like, or it seemed like from my experience, that, that we act one way on Sunday, right? We come to church, we act one way in front of our church family, we worship together, we pray together, we study God's word, we serve, we teach, we do things like that. And then Sunday's over, we get back in the car and we argue on the way home and we go back to living our lives, right? We, we go back to work on Monday or school and, 
and we just kind of live our lives the rest of the week like everybody else around us, right? And, and really, our life looks no different than, than maybe just a, a moral non-believer, and that's on our good days, right? You know, that was my story for, for much of my early life. Uh, I, I, I went to church. I wasn't the church. I, I was, I, it was something I did on Sundays, and then, then I just kind of lived my life how I saw fit the rest of the time. You know, and, and that's a tough trap to avoid, to be honest. You know, maybe you've grown up in the church like me, and, and that's just what you do. You go to church. Your family goes to church. It's, it's not a question if, it's just something that you do. Uh, you know, we, we believe it's the right thing to do. It's, it's, it's the fact that we're moral, we're hardworking people, we're Americans, and we believe in God, so we go to church. And that's what God would want us to do, Right? Well, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there is some elements of goodness to that. That's not completely horrible, but I think it's missing the point. You know, basically what takes place is this, kind of something I've hinted at a little bit here, is that that we have a form of moralism or behavior modification, but our heart isn't engaged, right? We're not living out a a spirit-filled, Christ-centric, biblically-based life that transforms our heart more than just some of our behaviors. And, and this trap, it really isn't new. It's not just new to us. It's just not something that we in our generation fall into. This has been something that's been around in, through the course of human history. You know, it's, this trap has been laid uh, well in the past, many, many years ago. Uh, we find record of it actually way back in the Old Testament when the Israelites were just coming into kind of their uh, formal existence, right? The, the Israelites were God's people. They uh, were rescued from, from Israel, I mean, excuse me, from Egypt, and that was kind of the coming out party for this nation, this new group of people that were God's people, the Israelites, and, and we find in Scripture that they fell into this same exact trap as us, and, and I think it's kind of uh, a purposeful thing. This may sound a little odd, but I believe that, that God established some routines within our lives that we have kind of twisted a little bit and fallen victim to, to he, making them kind of human practices. And I, let me explain this just a little bit. The, the first Christian martyr, we meant, uh, I didn't mention him, but Terry Stein from Boise Bible College mentioned him a few weeks back. Uh, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, uh, in, in the book of Acts chapter 7, he described the way that the Israelites interacted with God. Kind of some of the routines that, that they, uh, they practiced, that God himself had kind of initiated, but that kind of fell apart as they went along. In Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 44, it says, it says this. This is the words of Stephen. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. <clears throat> it had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Okay, so he's talking about how God chose to interact with his people. He chose to interact through uh, building kind of a house. It was a tent in the beginning, and it became a house later, uh, this thing called the tabernacle. And God dwelt within the tabernacle, and the people, as they moved around from location to location, would take this, this, temp, this uh, tabernacle within this tent, 
And when they would set up camp, God would reside within this tabernacle. Again, later it became the temple. And he would reside there. Right? God made his presence available to his people through this tabernacle or temple. And, and within this tabernacle, within the, the temple, was a place called the Holy of Holies. That was the actual location where the presence of God was, was accessible to the people. But it was only accessible through one person, the chief priest. And so <clears throat> once a year, the chief priest would come into the Holy of Holies and actually interact with God himself in, the, in, this, uh, in this location. So as you can imagine, even though God was present in their midst, in a sense, there was a distance. There was a separation between the people and God. And this, this priest, he was their intercessor, right? He would present their, act, their sacrifice, which was their act of worship. And the priest would then offer those sacrifices to God on their behalf. And so then, after the person had presented their worship, their sacrifice, they would return home. Right? Their, their duty for the year would be done. And so they would, they would go home. And now they had other practices like the Sabbath, but still these became routines that were built within their life. And there's a problem with routines. You know what the problem with routines are? Our, our bodies can go through the motion without our mind or our heart engaged. Now, tomorrow I start coaching football again. It's, time, it's finally here. It's the best time of the year. It's like Christmas. First day of football practice tomorrow at uh, 4.30 p.m. I'm excited just a little bit. And uh, the first week of football is great because we're all excited. It's been a year since we remembered what we had to do last year, right? We, we get out there. We have a lot of fun. It's new. It's exciting. There's new kids. There's new, new plays to run, new drills to run, and things are good for the first week, right? But then after a couple weeks, the heat starts to take its toll. We feel bruised and beaten up. We're tired of hitting each other, and all of a sudden, we start getting used to the plays that we're running, the drills that we're running, and, and things become very routine. And so what happens to the kids in those moments when things are hot and they don't really want to be out there and they'd rather be drinking iced tea or Mountain Dew and playing video games, but they're working hard in the sun, their bodies just start to go through the motions, right? It all becomes routine, and their brains check out. And so we have to shake things up. Get them differently. Well, that same, that same type of thing happens to you and I as we go through routines like going to church. And the Israelites, they were no exception. They would go through this routine of bringing their sacrifice to the temple. They might practice some prayers or read from the scriptures on Sabbath, but it was just a routine. It led them to practice without their heart being engaged. And this was really the core of Phariseeism that we see in the New Testament where we would practice, where we would change our behavior, but our brains and our hearts were never connected with what was going on. Then all of a sudden, after a couple thousand years, Jesus entered the scene. He was God himself, and he, and he stepped into this physical world, and he interacted with his creation, person to person, face to face. Right? He spoke with the people. He heard them. He listened to them. He ate with them. He, he traveled with them. He did things differently, and for 33 years or so, he interacted with mankind in this way. Well, his purpose for coming right, was to bring God to glory through being obedient to death upon the cross, which you know we talk about each and every week. We celebrate right here through this act of communion. But the reason he came was it was more than just dealing with sin. Right? That, that was part of it. That was a huge part of it. But he came so that you and I 
could be reestablished in a direct connection to this God. Right? No longer did we need to come and offer a sacrifice. No longer did once a year we present our lamb to the Lord and the priest would sacrifice it. No, now we could approach God himself. In Matthew chapter 27, there's a little part of Jesus' crucifixion that sometimes kind of gets, gets lost in the amazing thing that happened. We, 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 uh, we tell the story at Easter every year, but there's a little portion, I think, that we jump over sometimes. And it starts in verse 50 of Matthew 27. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. In other words, he died. In that moment, he died. In verse 51, it says, at that moment... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people uh, who had died were raised to life. It says there that when he died at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And what's that referring to is, is back to what I just mentioned about the Holy of Holies, where God resided within the temple. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he ripped that temple veil physically in two. And that signified the fact that God was no longer bound by a temple or a tabernacle or a room that now instead of inhabiting that location, he would inhabit the hearts and the minds of his people. You know, Stephen continued his thoughts in Acts chapter 7 by saying these words in verse 48. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. He's referring back to this. No longer does God live in the temple or the tabernacle, the holy of holies. No, he does not live in houses made by human hands. You know, the apostle Paul was there that day when Stephen was martyred. Shortly after he had said those words, he was stoned. He was killed by the Sanhedrin. And the apostle Paul was witnessing. He wasn't the apostle at that time. He was just a little uh, guy, young guy named Saul, but he gave his approval. And, and years later, after he'd become an apostle, he referred back to Stephen's words. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 24, he said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temple built by human hands. He doesn't live in a building. He doesn't live in a room. You know, where in the past people had access to the Father through the chief priests entering that holy of holies, now we have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. And it's because of Christ's offering of his life upon the cross that you and I have free access the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. All of us, all of us who are Christ's followers, we all have access to the Father through the same person, through the Holy Spirit. We don't need a priest, right? We don't need a pastor, even. We don't need a teacher to intercede on our behalf, to go to God for us. We have access ourselves to him. We have a great intercessor who works on our behalf. You know, that's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the intercessor, right? The one who goes between us and the Father. We have access to the Father through that Holy Spirit. And that's, that's pretty amazing, in my, in my opinion. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, it says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a tabernacle or a temple, in other words. That word house, it means tabernacle, temple, same word. Okay? We are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood ourselves. We are the priesthood, right? We are the ones who have access to the Father, and we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
to you and I in our access to the Father are becoming ourselves the temple. And that's really what I'd like to get at this morning. And the reason that we have, uh, we, we gather each and every week, the reason that we uh, commit to being Christ's followers, the reason that, that we are here is because Jesus on that cross allowed us to become part of something very, very special. Right? God's holy temple. We are that temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, our 316 for this week, it says this. It says, don't you know that you yourselves, or you Christ followers, are you people that make up the church, you are God's temple. This is a, a, a plural you. Now, so this isn't talking about you individually. This is saying you, the church, make up God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You understand that? You are God's temple. And we, the church, are where God resides, within his people. In Ephesians chapter 4, 22, it says, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, by using our giftedness together, by using the positions that God's given us as teachers, as elders, as pastors, as, as, as Sunday school teachers, as volunteers, as people who give, we, we all work together uh, putting off our old self, right? putting on our new ways so that we can continue to grow together as this holy temple. And as we do these things, as we treat each other with kindness, as we serve one another, as we love each other in this world, as we are God's people, we become his very temple. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, the first part, it says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, I want you to understand just how amazing that is. We are the temple of God. So what does that mean for us? I've tried to kind of present kind of a case here of how it went from being God dwelling among his people within a, a, a tabernacle, within a temple, to actually now residing with the heart, within the hearts and the lives of his people, that we are now the temple. But what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for us? Well, here's a couple of things this morning. First thing it means is that our con- conduct uh, outside these walls of this building right here is equally, if not more important, than what we do inside them. And do you understand that? And that's the idea of go be the church, right? That what we do in here is important for us each week. We gather in the name of Jesus. We, we worship him collectively. We learn from his word together. We encourage one another. And those things are important, right? But that's not all of what being God's temple is all about. And how we conduct ourselves outside these walls, whether we choose to worship on a daily basis. You know, are you worshiping God on Sundays, just Sundays, or, or every day? Right? Are, are, you, are you committing to be a disciple of Jesus in your Sunday school class, on Sunday morning, or every single morning? Are we serving others only here at church, you know, or serving communion, or, or do we live a life that looks for every opportunity to serve other people, no matter what day it may be. See, we live a lot more of our life 
outside of the walls of this building than we do inside of it. And your, your, your being the temple should reflect that. You know, another thing is that, that it means for us to be the temple is that our conduct within the church family, in other words, how we treat one another, is a reflection on our understanding of God's holiness and the unity that's found within the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, how you treat each other either aids to the holiness of the temple or defiles the temple. Right? God's temple is holy. And your conduct reflects that holiness one way or the other. Are we kind and compassionate? Or are we critical and judgmental? Are we forgiving or do we hold hurts and grudges? Do we treat one another like brothers or sisters or do we treat each other like the enemy? You know, this question concerns me. This is the type of question that I worry about, that keeps me awake at night. Are we growing closer to the Father each and every day? Are we growing as Jesus' disciples are we embracing and trusting the role of the Holy Spirit within our lives? Are we accepting this role that we are God's temple? Are we concerned with holiness, our own more than those around us? You know, it's a lot easier to point fingers at those around us who are doing what we don't like or, or who look differently than, than we do than it is to look inside of ourselves and see our own failings and shortcomings, and then address them. Another thing that being the church or being the God's holy temple means is that our conduct as the church or the temple speaks volumes to those outside who are looking in. You know, in John chapter 13, 35, it says that, that, we, that they, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples or that we are his church or his temple by what? By how we love one another. So how well do we love? How well do we love our family? You know, how well do we love our friends? How well do we love those who are different than us? How well do we love those that we don't like? How well do we love those who dress differently, who act differently, who look differently, who smell differently, who, who believe differently than us? How are we loving them? Because people are watching. The world is watching. We live in a time when there are so many mixed messages being sent our direction. There are so many different sides of issues to fall on. So many voices that, that say that you need to think a certain way, that you need to act a certain way, that you need to spend your money a certain way, that, that you need to vote a certain way. We're constantly barraged with messages that divide us, all under a banner of tolerance. How are we going to be different than the messages that this world is shoving down our throats. How are we going to love regardless of any differences there in front of us? Or are we? Are we going to love? Are we going to choose to love? Are we going to choose to, to turn, our, turn away and just ignore the issue? You know, this commission that I leave you with each and every week to go be the church, you know, you, you see why it's so important? You understand why it's important for us to not see just this hour that we have together as the totality of what it means to be a Christian. You know, the, the idea that we are God's holy temple means that we're more than just a temple on Sunday morning. Right? You are part of something very special, and you don't cease to be the temple when you walk through those doors. And people's opinion of God 
is going to be reflected by your conduct. And that's important for us to remember this morning. We are all called to be different. You know that word different? Very similar to another word within Scripture. The word holy. We are called to be separate, to be different than the world around us, to be holy people, to be God's residents. You know, in this collective worship experience that we have each and every week, this time when we come before the table together as God's family, the time that we have even studying God's Word, you know, it's important. It is important. It's, it's an essential part of being the church. It's an essential part of being the holy temple. But if it's the totality of your involvement as part of the church, then you're missing out on the immense depth of what God has created and offering to reside within us. You're missing an amazing opportunity to be a part of something that's holy and different and separate from the world around us. Let's pray. Father, I want to I want to thank you. I want to thank you this morning for Jesus and we thank you all the time for the sacrifice upon the cross. But this morning, Father, I want to thank you for that because of what it represents in regard to our relationship and our ability to approach the very throne room of, the heaven, of our Father. God, we thank you that your Son was willing to do that and that your Spirit is there to guide us, to lead us to that throne, to intercede on our behalf. Father, to provide a way for us to have an intimate relationship with the Creator of this world. And Father, I just pray that that understanding that we are directly connected to you, will impact how we view this very thing called the church, and that when we look at this building, that that's all we'll see is a building. There's nothing holy, Father, about this building. The holiness that we get to experience is all about you and how you've chosen to reside and live and interact with us as your followers, as your family, as your children. And Father, may that idea motivate us to live each and every day more and more connected to you more and more reflection of the work that you've done in our lives. Father, may we love well this week. May we live well. May we be different. May we be holy. May we uh, just shine brightly for all of those who, who are on the outside looking in. May they understand the overwhelming love that God has for them because of the love that we show as well. In your precious son's name I pray, amen.